0: I'd like you to close your eyes and if you can, let's imagine what life would be like in the middle of an ancient siege. We would have stone walls protecting us. We would have known the army was coming maybe for weeks ahead of time you know there'd be rumors of the army coming and destroying smaller outer settlements killing or enslaving the people there maybe letting some of them deliberately run to the city just to cause that level of fear just to swell the population of the city because you know as the invading army that sieges take a long time and the more population stuck inside the city walls the faster the food reserves inside the city will waste and run out and the shorter the siege will be now this has been a fairly clinical description of siege tactics at the moment but we want to dive into what the reality would feel like so that you can imagine what it would be like and you know our fictional person if we can imagine ourselves inside the walls of an ancient city you know we're 586 BCE and we're not a soldier. We're not uh, capable of defending ourselves. We rely on the king and his army to protect us. They obviously couldn't protect the outer villages and settlements. All they can do is stand on the walls and they have Spears and bows and arrows and slings, and they fire those missiles down on the army as their the foe charges the walls. Imagine what that would sound like to you, the everyday Joe inside the city. You'd have no idea what was happening other than the sound. And you can imagine the types of sounds you would hear during an attack on the walls. You might hear the cries of the guards on the walls, warning about the imminent attack. You might hear the sounds of soldiers running through the city to get to the part of the walls that's about to be attacked. Carts moving around. Crowds running to get out of the way. People potentially being trampled. And then you would hear the sounds of war. Screams of people dying. You would hear clashes of metal on metal swords hitting shields spears people screaming as they're dying people screaming to clog up a hole to go there to hold your position to fall back to charge you'd hear the sounds of of massive towers built of wood and metal as they're pushed towards the walls, the screams of slaves and army soldiers pushing the towers forward, the cries from the people on the wall attempting to set the tower on fire with fire arrows, Maybe as the tower gets close, they pour boiling oil down all on it, hoping to boil alive anybody caught in the path. Can you imagine the screams of hearing somebody being boiled alive? Can you imagine the screams of people set on fire and then maybe... Maybe you're not hearing that. Maybe instead you're hearing the crashes and thumps and cries of people trying to batter down the main gate. Can you imagine what that would sound like thundering all day long? Thump. 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 like a terrifying heartbeat one that as it gets louder you feel more and more of your impending doom and then you might imagine the complete opposite maybe there is no attack that day maybe there's just nothing the army ...sitting outside the walls... ...outside the range of attack... ...no attacks happening on the walls... ...it would just be silence... ...what would that feel like to you... ...having to experience... ...the cries of people being boiled alive... ...the sounds... Of fire burning down siege towers. The sounds of people trying to batter down the main gate for weeks on end. And then nothing. Is it over? Are we safe? Did they just leave in the middle of the night? And as you walk around the city and you ask other people, they don't know. Someone gets brave enough to walk towards maybe the main gate. And you can see the army still there. Somebody asks them what's going on. And he turns around and yells at you to get back to your house. There's still a siege happening. Nobody can leave the city. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. And then maybe a few days of silence, and then the attacks start again. Another five or ten siege towers get rolled towards the gates. Another battering ram attacks the main gates. More cries. Plug the hole. Go to the east wall. Off in the distance, it's happening all day long. Night and day. For weeks on end. Weeks stretch into months. And while you initially feel good because they're repelling the attacks nobody's getting through you're slowly coming to another realization there's no more food what do you do when you have no food to feed your families will you go to the guards beg them for food they don't give you anything because they need all the food they need all the calories and energy they can in order to defend the city you're not getting any food from the king or the priests or the nobles just what little rations they might hand out to you and then eventually those rations stop and after a few days you start to re- understand what true hunger feels like and then you come to some decisions first it's not really much of a decision it's more of a disappointment but you kill your donkey the one that you've been using to pull your your goods back and forth on your cart you need food for your family So you kill your donkey Butcher it And you've got food for a few days Everybody's killing their horses Donkeys, the cattle Chickens And then Then some harder decisions have to be made It's not really a decision It's more of a Another disappointment, one step down, maybe the rung of humanity in yourself. But you kill your family dog. You don't tell your kids that. The dog just disappears one day and there's food on the table that afternoon. When your child asks you where you got the food... You tell him the priest gave it to you. And when your child asks you where Spot is, you tell him he ran away. But you've fed your family for another day or two. You've done what you needed to do. But now... There's no more horses, there's no more cattle, there's no more chickens, there's no more dogs or cats, but there's some rats. And that's your next step down the rung of humanity as you do what you need to do to feed your family and keep them alive. Soon, there aren't even any rats. There's just you and your neighbor and the guards and the people on the outside of the walls. Thump. 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 And the starving that gnaws at you. It gets you weaker. What do you do now... When everything that you had... Everything you could scavenge is gone... All you have left... Is really... Grass... Leaves from bushes... Wood roots... Leather... And believe it or not... When you're hungry enough... You will attempt to eat these things and sooner or later you have to come to some even worse decisions. You probably will decide to prostitute yourself or your children or your wife in order to do whatever you can to get food For your family Your neighbors May start stealing Whatever they can To put food On their family's dinner plates Violence will break out People aren't going to put up With thieving in the best of times But when you're Strapped for food And your family's starving And somebody tries to steal That little bit of moldy bread that you've got well you'll find out just how vicious you can be and sooner or later that type of violence will result in dead bodies then there's just the plain people dying from starvation there'll be dead bodies laying around there too and then well that's another rung down your ladder of humanity will you take that step down and would you resort to cannibalism in order to put food on your plates of your family would you even tell your children that that's what you were doing would they take part in it Because you're too weak to lift a knife But you've been giving all the food you can to your children Do you rely on their strength To do that deed? That's another reality Of long-term siege warfare In this time frame So we've got the thump, thump, thump of the people attacking the city gates. We have the screams of people burning and fighting and killing each other on the walls, broken up intermittently by long days of complete silence with just the moans and the begging of the general population looking for food and the violence that breaks out when people are starving and the riots that would happen any time there was a a chance at getting food for your family, the prostitution you would resort to, the begging you would resort to potentially the murder and cannibalism you would resort to, or maybe you don't take that that step down that last rung of civilization and your humanity, and you just die. And your neighbor takes advantage of that. Now I know this sounds pretty awful so far. Part one of the terror that's about to befall you. I know you've been living in terror for months now, two years, as a matter of fact, in our fictional person, in our mysterious uh, late Bronze Age city. Well, after two years of doing whatever you can to keep your family alive, The periodic thump, thump, thump heartbeat of impending doom, well that finally breaks. The walls, the main gate break in and you hear an immediate wave of terror go through the city. Starting from the city gates and then getting louder and louder as the screams of those still strong enough to stand and run reach you and you look out your door and you see the enemy army running up the city streets hacking and slashing at anything that moves. Now I know it's hard for us Sitting where we are, so far removed to understand what the realities of what it means when you hear someone say they sacked a city. The sacking of a city is certainly, you might imagine, a lot of people get killed, maybe some people are captured taken for ransom your belongings anything of values taken from you that's the light part of being in a city that's being sacked whatever law and order there was well, that's gone out the window whatever rules that existed to protect you that's gone and the reality of being on the wrong end of having your city sacked is that the very worst things you can imagine would be on the table to happen rape murder torture all these things Can and do definitely happen when somebody tells you they sacked a city. And then, certainly, large portions of the population are dragged out of the city in chains. Chains around their legs, maybe around their necks, around their hands, whatever it was. You chained the people together so they couldn't run away. Whoever was strong enough to move was chained and moved. Whoever was too weak was murdered. If you were at all attractive, you were valuable as a sex slave. If you were uh, a youth just about into your teen years, or a young man, you were valued as a working slave. And if you had any kind of attractiveness, female or male, again, you had value as a sex slave. But if you are not in this elite grouping of people who are strong enough to work farmlands, are attractive enough to function as sex slaves, who have specialized skills in administration or perhaps as an artisan, a craftsperson, a smithy, well you were not an attractive target for being taken to slavery and if you had no value as a slave You might be left alone. You might be beaten, might be tortured for fun. Or maybe they just murdered you then and there and left you be. So let's imagine you have value and you're not just immediately murdered. So they put chains around your neck and your ankles. And they chain you to every other person that has value as being a slave. And they force you to stand outside the city walls. And you're camped out there for days. While the army has their fun sacking your city. And remember what I talked about. What happens, what it means when I say somebody's sacking your city. And the people next to you, they're your neighbors. And there might also be nobles. There would also be the priests and priestesses. And the king and his sons and daughters and family. They might not be chained next to you, but they would be chained up. Valuable ...war trophies... ...and then the really... ...heartbreaking thing happens... ...you watch the army... ...one by one... ...start pulling... ...out of your temple... ...and churches... ...everything... ...that had value... ...to you... ...as a religious icon... ...the very things... ...that enabled... Your people to talk to your God are being taken from you. Your God is literally being taken from you. So you would sit there night after night, day after day. Some of you, uh, around you just dying from heat, from exhaustion from lack of food. Some of you getting some crumbs of bread, staying alive, staying strong enough, finally getting some food now. But as you're sitting there, watching them desecrate your temple, the real heartbreaking thing happens to you. You realize... Your God is gone. You will never be able to talk to them again. This is the reality of what a siege would feel like. And as they finish the days-long orgy of pillaging, everything that has value is put it on carts and taken back. To the invading king's city as trophies. Some of your population that you've been chained with are let go. Some that have value. Most that have value are taken as slaves to be redistributed amongst the rest of the king's lands. And you see your city, your holy city that you've lived in for generations. The one that stood for hundreds of years being burned to the ground. And as you're marched off into the distance, you can just smell the smoke. And you look back and you can see the king has left a chunk of his army there to continue the systematic destruction of your city. This is the second time he's had to come here in 10 years to deal with us, to deal with our king. And he's had enough of it. And so the chunk of the army that's left behind has been given explicit instructions to systematically level, destroy, and burn the city down. There should only be a mound of earth and rocks when they're done. It should be a reminder to the people of this land what happens when you cross the king of Babylon. You don't just get your city enslaved. You don't just lose your population and your treasures. You don't just have your temple raised and your God's artifacts taken from you. No, your civilization is destroyed and the one place where you thought everybody was safe, well, that gets taken down too. Just to send a message to everybody else that you cannot cross the kings of Babylon and just one last punishment is left to be levied on the people of Jerusalem that's right we've been talking about the siege of Jerusalem this whole time well the king of Jerusalem that's Zedekiah he's being taken to the city of Riblah where he will watch his sons ritualistically murdered in front of him punishment for defying the king of babylon and the last thing he sees will be his son pardon me be his sons murdered in front of him because after that happens the king of babylon will have Zedekiah blinded and then put in a dungeon for the rest of his life. This is what happens when you cross Babylon. Now this siege of Jerusalem that I just described, this is not the first time this happened. This is actually the second siege of Jerusalem. And this whole thing happened effectively because the kingdom of judah that is the kingdom of the israelite people the kingdom of judah along with a few other uh, neighboring cities and nations there they've been under the thumb and rule of the babylonian empire for a while and they've been trying to break themselves free of it they don't like having to provide tribute in the form of gold slaves whatever else was demanded of them they wanted self-rule just like anybody else would so they tried several times to revolt and during the first major revolt the king of Babylon Nebuchadnezzar II He uh, put down the revolt, enslaved the city population, sacked the city, stole treasures and values of worth, you know, all the things that come with sacking a city. Then he installed a puppet king and he left them to be content that his puppet king was going to do what he was told and continue paying tribute to the kingdom of Babylon well the puppet king that is our friend King Zedekiah 10 years after Zedekiah has been installed as his puppet king he tries to rebel against Babylon again he gambled on an alliance with Egypt being able to help him break Babylon's hold that gamble didn't pay out and Nebuchadnezzar II well he wasn't having anything of his puppet king in a decade of being put on the throne trying to overthrow him again so in 587 BCE Nebuchadnezzar II takes his army and enters into a 30-month-long siege of the city of Jerusalem until they break down the walls, sack the city, enslave the population, and they do it seriously this time. They literally disperse the population. They leave the outlying People that are running the farms and the small villages on the outskirts of Jerusalem intact. They can't defend themselves. They're hopeless. They can only provide tribute. They're not a threat. So he leaves them there. But the aristocrats, the priest class, the nobles, the army, anything that could potentially uh, be a threat or have an opportunity to have an organizational uh, anchor with which to build a revolt against that is systematically dismantled by Nebuchadnezzar II. And he takes the noble, pardon me, he takes the nobles, the royalty, the priest class, the artisans, and he takes them all back to Babylon with them, and uh, they live there. Now the Bible will say they're enslaved in Babylon, and certainly many of them would be, but some of them would just be resettled. And I know that sounds like we're splitting hairs here, but there is a difference between somebody who is uh, forcibly moved to a new location and then left to their own devices to either thrive uh, as they are, or somebody who's been forcibly moved to a, no, a new location and then put into indentured servitude. So there's a mix of that happening. The Judean population is redistributed amongst the Babylonian Empire. But like I said, the nobles and priest class are concentrated in the capital city. And while they're in the capital city during uh, this period and the period after that, this is when the Judean people write their religious texts. Up until this point, it's all just been spoken word and memory transition now they're putting it down on paper or tablet or script. Paper didn't exist, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. They take this time, the priest class and the nobles, to write down their religion in terms of text that will be passed down from then on. This will form the Old Testament, what Christians know as the Old Testament, and this is written down over a period of approximately 200 years during their exile in Babylon. So the uh, Judean account of the siege is a uh, you know story that would have been passed down through roughly six generations, give or take. Now Cyrus the Great, who is the founder of the Persian Achaemenid Empire... He will come along in about uh, 200, 300 years from now and put an end to Babylonian dominance over this region. It will become a client state of the Persian Empire at that point. But we'll talk about that in more detail in our next episode when we dig into the Tower of Babylon the people, the Babylonian people, will touch on their history, we'll touch on their impact and influence, we'll touch on their religion, we'll talk quite in depth about the Tower of Babylon, because of course that ties in explicitly into our theme of our podcast of exploring intersection of history and fiction, because the Tower of Babylon pops up in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, that's the focus of our first season of episodes, the God Emperor of Mankind and his pal Olanius Pius, they will both pop up, and they are part of the group that presumably destroys the Tower of Babylon. So that will be our next episode, talking about Babylon, its people, place, place, uh, how they lived, religion, and the destruction of the Tower of Babylon, and then compare that to what we have in the Warhammer 40,000 text and see if there's any little interesting tidbits of knowledge we can pull between how these two things would intersect that maybe's not written in the text but would be implied uh, just because of how we know history to work. So stay tuned for our next episode where we dig into the Babylon Babylonians and the Babylon period and uh, get Grimdark on that. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you have any feedback, you can find me on Twitter at GrimdarkHistory. You can also email me uh, by emailing GrimdarkHistory at gmail.com. I love to hear all your feedback and comments. The comments I've received so far have been great. I love to hear your suggestions. Uh, Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Bye-bye.